Back in the 70s, I think 1879 to be correct, it was a different world than it is today. No movies, no radio in Vaudeville. Hell, there aren't even records yet. People were isolated, not connected as they seem to be today. And there's a comfort in that for some folk. But back in them days, outside the big cities, or even towns, if you were living out in the wilderness, you were on your own. And if you ended up being real isolated in the swamp, out in the dark forests, with only the thick woods surrounding you. Well, mine starts playing tricks on you, for sure. Back when I was a young cub reporter starting out, well, an incident occurred that marked a change in my life forever. Well, when I saw out there, my life would never be the same again. No, no, not again, not again, not again. Tonight, the Theater of the Mind Playhouse in conjunction with the Wrong Reel brings you Strange Occurrence Out at Fort Courage. A first ever pod play, a show meant to make you, the listener, dust off and flex the muscle between your ears and shine a little light on the long lost art of the theater of the mind. Talking to be out about 1920. You all right now? You you want to start? I wanted to tell me if you can remember uh, when it was. Remember the time, the year. Or... Okay. Well, <clears throat> I was just starting out then in my early 20s. You remember where you were, where you were sitting, and what you were thinking about? 
working the, the rural beat. I mean, a guy has to start somewhere, right? Tell me the tell me a little of the story of it, if you don't mind. I mean, if it's not too personal. I mean, I want to know the facts and, and how you felt and why you felt the way you did. I In those days, when men were young, they were full of ambition and vigor and were extremely adventurous. We'll go anywhere and do anything to run a, a story down. How foolish we all are. I was making my bones as, as they, they say, say in a, a tiny, tiny burg east of Tacoma, Washington. A small dispatch that covered local news in that region of the country. Heck, ice fishing was treated more like the World Series. And the paper of record, the King Haven Tribune, was not. Mostly used to wrap tomorrow's lunches and used in vast amounts in the rural outhouses it was. Now, as I stated, this was about 79, 1879 that is. A report had come across my editor's desk about an isolated cavalry fort up by the Canadian border. Deep in the forests of the Upper Northwest, past Seattle, past Everett, up past Wacom, it was called Fort Courage. A holdover from another era. From the days of having to repel Indian attacks and fend for themselves out in the middle of nowhere for months at a time. An isolated and lonely post that was originally a first in this part of the country, but now all but forgotten. You see, progress and what we would later term urbanization through things like the Iron Horse that connected the Transcontinental Railroad 10 years prior that bypassed the region now severely cut down on the foot traffic that Fort Courage received. Howard! Howard! Come here. Uh, yes, Chief? Yeah, there's just feed and something to sink your teeth into. No pun intended. Give me about a hundred words or so. What he handed me to run down was to him a joke. But unbeknownst to my editor, this was exactly what a young reporter starting out like me was looking for. This, Fort Courage, had reported an incident, an occurrence, something so amazing that I set off that very morning on my way up to see the carnage for myself. Ah, uh, Anthony, it looks like your new young reporter is going to need some allowance for a train ticket north. And I'll need some spending money to buy a new coat and, uh, you know how cold it must get up there and stuff. For what? For that two-paragraph story, you're going to be insane. You know something, Howard? Back in my day, I'd be running circles around here, going after the political corruption down at City Hall. Ah, Gladys, bring me my milk. Ah, uh, Anthony. Fine. Howard, fine. Just get the facts. Thank you, Gladys. Oh, Gladys, tell payroll how it's coming down. Yes, again. The man is insane. I hopped on the first train that a buggy could get me to and headed north. Tickets, please. Tickets. Thank you. Now, being the low man on the totem pole, this kind of story fell straight in my lap. But this was such a queer occurrence that was reported up at Fort Courage, a tale that sounded so strange, I couldn't let it be. I had to run down the real story. So I prepared myself by memorizing the facts that were given. And if these facts were real, I was hardly prepared for what took place up at that lonely outpost. Willoughby, next stop, Willoughby. Last stop of the line, Willoughby. Thank you for riding Shack Train. Butterfield stage. No, Wells Fargo. Can't you read? 
That one there is Butterfield. Charlie. I said, Charlie, you got a customer. Sorry, boy. Um, uh, Butterfield stage? Yeah. Howdy. Where to? Bought a ticket to the end of the line. End of the night. Last hope. The mining town. Last stop before the trek up that mountain to Fort Courage. Fort Courage? People don't talk about that place much, uh, these days. Uh, let me take your bag. Thank you. Climb on in. Yeah, sure thing. Here is what was officially reported. This strange occurrence out at Fort Courage. Item. The entire fort had been decimated, but the only damage seemed to be to the outer walls. They appeared to have been knocked down, even in several areas, according to the report we had, uh, intercepted from the military bulletin. The walls had been knocked in as if the fort had been surrounded by some sort of invading army. These walls were pummeled with what the observer had described looked to be improvised battering rams. Logs taken down from the surrounding forest and quickly used by an opposing force. And stranger still, that seemed to be the only damage to the fort itself. Item. No cannonballs or projectile damage, no bullet holes or shell casings anywhere outside the fort. No arrows anywhere which, at the very least, would rule out any Indian attacks. Just large sections right in front of the fort collapsed and breached. So, the question was, what could do that? What the hell could do something like that? So, four days later, there I was, in the thick of it all. Last hope, here we are. End of the line. Nice meeting you there, young blood. Let me get your bags. Uh, thank you. And take my advice. Stay above ground. And get out of here as quick as you can. Alright. Yeah! And, let's not forget the most important part of this mystery. There was no trace of the 28 men that were stationed there, save one. Only a lone survivor, a young recruit identified as Thomas J. Hutchins, came crawling down the mountain through the snow and out of the woods into last hope. He somehow made it down the windy and uninhabited path in below zero temperatures to the mining town. Suffering from extreme exposure from the elements, he had no coat or even goddamn boots, his feet bare and by then just lifeless stumps that he dragged frozen stiff. His hands by that point just blackened bloody claws. He was clearly out of his mind when he reached town. Hutchins spoke only one word before dropping dead over and over again. He said, Sasquatch. Hey, hey. Buy me a drink and I'll uh, show you a good time. Yeah, um, uh, no thank you. Ah, uh, never mind. Uh, a bartender, uh, a whiskey. Please. Hey, oh, yeah. buy me a drink and I'll show you a good time. That'll be a penny. Or a single shot or whatever ammo you're carrying. If you don't got a penny. Now I've got your penny. Here you are. 
Whew. Ah, need that. Ah, another one, bartender. Ah. Ooh, thank you again, sir. Uh, you know, bartender, I uh, just arrived here on the Butterfield stage, and, and I can't help but notice uh, outside the saloon there's not a lot going on in this town. Well, right now we got a residential population of below 37, not counting the occasional drifter, salesman, or free grazer like yourself. That comes through here in our little saloon here, Psalm's Place, but as you'll soon realize, like everyone you see in here has realized, last hope is the end of the line. And there's no action to be had here. And after a couple days, like them, you'll get fed up and drift on down the trail to the next stop. That is, if you don't go broke and get stuck here like some of our more permanent residents, the delinquent drunks. <laughs> so no medicine shows the traveling attractions making it up to this lonely outpost anytime soon. So uh, no prospects up here promising uh, at all? Nothing. Unless you're an undertaker. And of course, Last Hope's already got one of them. Uh, what about, um, um, Fort Courage? Oh, boy. What about it? Anything, um, uh, going on up there? There's nothing up there but death. <laughs> Is that the, uh, sheriff of this town over there, uh, playing cards? The only place you can find him when he's sober will be right at that table along with the town doctor and the local judge, who is also the mayor. Poker seems to be a full-time job for them these days. That's all they can really do. It was still a nice place, this saloon, Psalm's place. It seemed it was the last everything in this town at the edge of civilization. So after making my way over to the gambling side of the establishment, I was able to engage the less-than-friendly sheriff in a little conversation. Son, I'll say this one more time for you. I don't care who you are or where you're from or what privileges you say you think you have being a member of the press or what. You ain't gonna get anyone to bring you up to that fort. Sheriff, now I hate to be the one to tell you what you already know probably about the purview of your vocation, but isn't it your job to help uncover what happened up there at Fort Courage? It seems I'd put the sheriff on the spot. <laughs> now, son, what makes you think I don't already know what happened up there? But, Sheriff! Now, I don't mean to stop you, but can't you see I'm busy here? Sheriff, look, I know you have a job here in Last Hope, but you have a duty to help me find out what happened. A duty? A duty? Eh, what did you say your name was again, stranger? Uh, Howard Kolchak, uh, Kinghaven Gazette. Well, Mr. Howard, as you can see, I'm a very busy man. I got a town to look after. Now, am scray. But, 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 Sheriff! Ah, uh, shit. Aces and eights. I'm out. Deal me in the next hand. I'm sorry to be a bother, Sheriff, but, but you see, I have to get up to that fort. You just can't take a hit now, can you, boy? But I have to get up there to see what happens for myself. Let me get this into your thick head of yours before you get a tomahawk embedded into your skull or something worse. A posse headed by yours truly and the townspeople went up there and looked around. After we determined we couldn't do anything, we wired. And the army's on its way. 
So what we're gonna do is wait for them to come and deal with it since it's their fort in the first place. And the only thing up at that fort now is death. You understand? So, do yourself a favor. Get a drink. I'm me. Then get yourself one of these nice friendly senoritas running around here. Now that ain't gonna be on me. <laughs> and get yourself a room for tonight. And tomorrow, get back on that Butterfield stage when it comes through here and go back to wherever you came from. And on the way back, dream up whatever story your pretty little face can imagine to print. Ain't that what you newsmen do anyway? <laughs> I looked around and it seemed this mixed lot were straight out of a Dickens novel or the dregs of any Shanghai bar. I was desperate and I'd be damned if I came all this way for nothing. So I took a shot and scanned the faces of the cowboys and backwoodsmen around me and thought about the expenses I was given by my editor. Um, okay, um, five dollars to whomever will take me up to Fort Courage. Five dollars. Ten. Ten dollars. Um, fifteen? Fifteen dollars? All right, twenty dollars to whoever is brave enough and has enough muster and brave enough to guide me up to that fort. I'll take you there. I glanced over toward the dark bar opposite the piano. A hulking figure stood at the bar by the wall, still in profile, and because of all the fur he wore and his big felt hat, he looked himself like a grizzly bear standing backward on his hind legs. It'll be my absolute pleasure. He finished his drink, grabbed his massive Winchester 76 that he had leaned against the wall, and walked right across the barroom floor past me and ran out the saloon. Uh, wait, um, uh, hold on a minute. Um, oh boy. I, um, uh, Sheriff, uh, who is that? If you want to go up there, well, that's the trapper that seems the only crazy enough man in these parts to take you. You better hurry up after him. His name's Madsen. I rushed out into the winter streets, if you could call all that frozen mud a street, and that's when I saw him. Standing there, blending right in, unrecognizable next to his mules. He was covered head to toe in black and brown fur. He was transferring supplies from one of the mules to the other, but at first glance, even now in the streets, when hunched over with his face obscured, I'd again mistaken him for a beast. He was a big man with a wild shaggy beard that had a frost color in it that matched the snow-covered trees and the fur he wore. As I finally walked up and stood toe-to-toe -to -toe with him, I could see the physique under his clothes and how he was lifting supplies from one mule to the other. He looked as strong as an ox. So, uh, you'll, um... Huh. So, uh, you'll, uh, take me up there, too, for courage? Mm-hmm. Um, that was a yes. I'll give you passage up to Fort Courage. <laughs> okay, as I said then in there, for $15, I will pay you to guide me up to that fort and, um... With that, the stranger stopped what he was doing and looked up at me. His stare bore a hole through the back of my head. His eyes were two glowing, jagged pinpricks of coal, glaring right at me. I stood there longer than I wanted before I finally broke the uncomfortable silence. Uh, however, $20, as I stated in the bar, is a perfectly reasonable sum for your solicitation, so it shall be yours once we get up there. Once we get up there. 
Upon hearing the correct amount, the mountain man nodded his head and went back to packing his mule. That's when his next question gave me a real start. So, what's up there at the fort that's worth 20 of your union dollars, mind you? Not that Confederate shit. They worth the paper it's printed on. Uh, yes, sir. Strictly union, I assure you. I'd noticed the trapper had finished loading the mule and looked at me with a fierce content. Almost as if he wanted to hear it straight out of my mouth before we set off. What's up there, you ask? Yeah. The story. The story? <laughs> oh, there's a story up there, all right. Well, what do you think? Well, I've got a vague idea. I just want to hear what you expect to find up there. And if it's anything close to what I think it is, then for you, it'll be the biggest story in perhaps 20 years. And you, eager for an adventure? For me? <laughs> for me, I will finally fulfill my destiny. I will capture what has long eluded me. Now let us set off before the storm on the horizon sets in. If we get stuck on the fringe gust pass after dark, the road will freeze up. Let's move then. I take it you're afoot? I just got off the stage an hour ago, so I, uh... Yeah, get on this mule. You can't walk it. We won't get up there till next week. Come on. Come on, Viola. Yeah. We didn't make it 20 miles before my reporter zeal kicked back in. Just who was this trapper that I was putting my trust and possibly my life in the hands of? That question begged an answer. Uh, Mr. Matson, um, that, that's your name, right? Um, <laughs> uh, is that your uh, first name or your last name? Why? It's uh, for the article. Well, my friends call me. <laughs> What's so funny? I don't have any friends. Well, I guess that is funny then. Um, I guess Madsen will do for now. Yeah, I guess it will. So, are you from around these parts? Me? No. Originally Old Saybrook, Connecticut. You say Saybrook, Connecticut? Old Saybrook, lad. Uh, that near Bridgeport? Closer to New Haven. Ah. Saw the circus once in Bridgeport. So what brought you all the way out here to Washington State? You know, just trapping? I'm no trapper. I noticed he kept scanning the tree line from one side to the other, like he was looking out for something. So I tried to get more out of him. Come on now, lad. We ain't got but a couple miles left to go now. Not a trapper. So what then? Well, I don't normally give my biography to strangers, but since you're a reporter, I figure we can speed up the pleasantries. I'm a hunter. That's my trade, my hobby, and my vocation. You understand, huh? I was born into a whaling community, so at a very young age, I was sailing the sea on whaling schooners as a harpooner. That brought me to faraway ports of call, introduced me to all kinds of jobs. I kept watching as he continued to scan the tree line while we spoke. 
What I quickly discovered was I was acutely adept at one thing, and one thing only. And what is that, sir? Killing. So I also became a hunter on land as well. Traveled the world, vast amounts of time in China, Africa, South America, and parts of Europe. Hunting almost every single animal there is in the wild. That a fact. Yep. All legal game, mind you. On the level. No poaching. As a much younger man, I've even spent time earning extra money down in French Guyana. Working alongside the Aborigines. Hunting down the most deadliest game, as it's called. Man. Hunting the escaped convicts from Devil's Island. Well, at least what I thought was the most dangerous game. Nope. Strictly freelancers, I say. <laughs> this ain't poaching, lad. This is discovering. Matson's last words trailed off as he pulled the reins back and stopped his horse. His full attention was now on the forest to the left. Matson didn't say a word. He just raised his arm in the air at the elbow. But that was enough. I got the point. I stopped my mule. Something was up. The hunter dismounted, and in one casual motion that indicated he had done it a thousand times before, he unlatched the leather covering which flipped down, exposing his massive Winchester 76 strap next to his scattergun and his sheathed machete-type sword. He kept them all buckled in and stared toward the edge of the forest. Something was off. I could even feel it. Hell, even the mule I was sitting on seemed to tremble. There was a heaviness in the air, and that all-too-unmistakable feeling of being watched. Matson approached the tree line. I then realized what he was looking at. Fascinating. A tree branch that seemed twisted like someone would twist something with their hands, applying force in opposite directions on either side. But as he got closer, I realized two things. One, the tree branch in question wasn't a branch at all. It was a whole tree limb, a limb as thick as my thigh. And secondly, the twist was four feet above Matson's head, which, even if a man could make it, would mean he would have to be at least ten feet tall. But that was impossible. Matson turned and slowly made his way back to his horse, keeping aware of our surroundings and the tree line. There was something different I saw in the trapper now. There was a gleam in his eye. There was... excitement. He rolled back and fastened his weapons bundle and quickly remounted his horse. Follow me. We have to make it to the fort before the sun sets. What, uh... What happened up there, Matson? You mean, where did all those cavalry soldiers disappear off to? <laughs> yes. I reckon I have a theory. But I think first a non-prejudiced eye would add a fascinating light on things. See what the neutral party, you, think before I start positing my conjectures. His last statement was made with a disconcerting smile as he raised his hand. Now bundle up and settle in. We gotta use this last hour to make it up to the fort and settle down before this storm hits us. We'll need time to bed down there for the night as well. Uh, bed down? <laughs> <laughs> Look at that sky, son. If we don't make it up there in the next hour, we'll get stuck at the head of the pass, and we won't make it at all. Well, certainly not the both of us. 
I don't know if he meant to say that last part aloud, and it wasn't above a whisper, but I still heard it. And I didn't like the sound of it at all. Those queer knocks got the hunter's complete attention. Enough gum wagon. Let's move. Another knock on one side of the woods, which was answered on the other side of the path somewhere deep in the forest, but closer than the last ones. Matson's head spun on his shoulders like a top. Move it, boy! We're fitting ducks in here, leaving our asses wide open for an attack! Attack? The sun will be down in 15 minutes. So let's move! Uh, we... Are there Indians we have to worry about? It took us another 10 minutes before we hit the top of the mountain, and as the sun lowered below the bluff, we came upon the clearing and... Fort Courage. Keep your wits about you now, reporter. The closer we got, a curious and unsettling scene was visible. Several trees seemed to be uprooted at various stages on the trail. Almost like someone came along and just pulled them out of the ground and, and thrown them into the woods like twigs. Oh. We continued and reached the fort. Fort Courage was settled in a plateau at a 9,000-foot altitude near the top of Mount Baker, set against a cliff face that led up to the top of Mount Baker itself. With a sheer rock face behind it and dense forests on either side in a small valley, the locale made it a queer place to have a fort in the first place, but there was only one way of attack that would need to be defended against any potential invaders coming up from Fringe Gust Pass. It looked like a superior position to defend, but that didn't seem to stop the forest from encroaching in on all sides, trying to take back its land. Hurry now! We want to get settled in and situated before we completely lose all the light! Just as the military dispatches had reported, Fort Courage itself was a disaster. They did not exaggerate the damage the fort had incurred. It looked to be mortally wounded from improvised battering rams made from the surrounding trees. No wagon wheel marks were anywhere around in the mud to be found, nor any arrows or shell casings from fired rounds to be had anywhere outside the fort, except for the massive amount of spent cartridge casings of various calibers, all of which should be noted were military issue later found inside the fort fired by the army soldiers in an effort to defend themselves from, as of yet, an unknown attacker. Be careful with your horse, Jen. Follow me. The front two walls of Fort Courage on either side of the front gate had collapsed, most likely due to the inflicted battering ram damage. That had to be the only reason. I didn't have time to get off my horse and look, as I was trying to keep up with the urgency Mr. Matson seemed to have about getting us inside the walls and secure before nightfall. But the one thing I did notice were the used, stacked-up trees that had been the improvised battering rams. What I noticed was they hadn't been cut down. Like the ones we had seen on the way up, they had been pulled up and their roots ripped right out of the ground. Not cut down by any saw. I said hurry. You get stuck here if what's in the woods doesn't get you. Then that storm that's settling overhead surely will. The Theater of the Mind Playhouse in conjunction with Wrong Reel bring you 
Strange Occurrence out at Ford Courage. A first podcast play meant to make you dust off and flex that muscle between your ears and shine a little light on the long-lost art of the theater of the mind. And now, act two of The Strange Occurrence out at Fort Courage. got ourselves and the animals inside before the storm dropped anchor over our heads. We boarded the horses and mules for the night and made it up to where we think were the officers' quarters. The entire fort was demolished and in ruins. One couldn't tell what were once the barracks or the armory, infirmary, kitchen. It was like a hurricane had blown through and destroyed the entire place. We can settle down here, unpack your stuff. I must secure the perimeter. My companion, Matson the Hunter, seemed to busy himself with making sure the quarters we were holed up in, a commander's office we think, a space on the second floor, was completely secure and most important of all, that we had an exit plan if need be. An exit from what though, he had not yet said. I looked around. Just as what had been leaked out had said, not a soul from the fort had been found. The entire troop of cavalrymen had just vanished. Where had they gone? Where the hell had they had gone? While searching, I found a desk that looked to be the commanders of the fort. A man named Juris Raskin. I was able to force the lock, and inside the drawer, I discovered what looked to be a log or diary of potentially what had transpired here. I took it with me to see if it could shed any light on what happened here. Mr. Matson was worried about even starting a fire here for warmth, but was still vague on exactly who he was concerned about hiding the smoke from. Nonetheless, I got him to acquiesce to a small one, just for warmth and dinner. We positioned ourselves inside the disheveled barracks of the fort, below the officers' quarters, with our backs to the corner so we could see both entrances to the room. Matson finally sat down after unpacking his mule in the hour of all his odd preparation, and I was finally able to have more than a two-sentence conversation with the man. We should be okay. For now. <clears throat> um, here's your can of beans, fresh off the fire. Here's some coffee, too. I may not have any, though, because I won't get any sleep tonight. With what's out there, you might want to have something to keep you awake and alert. I think we should keep a watch just to be safe. <laughs> I've got something a little stronger that'll put hair on your chest, which has been fueling me since we left Last Hope. Well, please don't overindulge. I'd hate to have to deal with an unknown enemy and an unconscious trapper hunter. How many times do I have to spell it out for a learned man like yourself? I'm no trapper, Mr. Howard. Kolchak, Howard Kolchak, and of course you're not. I, I am sorry. My first name is Aldous. Mr. 
Aldous Matson. The third. You, uh... <laughs> you, uh... You sound like an educated man, Mr. Matson. You'd be surprised, Mr. Howard Cole, Rick. Uh, Howard Cole, Jack. You know, you know what? I will have a nip of that gut rot if it's uh, still going. Ah, ah cheers. Ah. <laughs> Go easy, lad. Couple sips of that and you'll sleep right through your entire adventure tonight and miss <sighs> this story of yours. Uh, don't worry, Matson. I'm not as green as some Bronco buster trying to fake his way on a wagon train. I'm just eager for the story of what happened here and paradoxically, what you think happened here. So, since you wet my whistle, tell me now, what exactly should we be concerned about here, Mr. Matson? Uh, on the level, some uh, renegade engine chief making war against this fort? And if so, why now? Did you hear that? Uh, was that a bear or a mountain lion, maybe? I didn't think it sounded like a wolf, because I didn't hear any dog characteristics, right? I'm versus maybe a bear, I... You really don't know what's going on here. What this is all about. What's happening here. Oh, why... Uh, do we have a fringe tribe of savages uh, that are, um, uh, cannibals or something like that out here? There it is again. What is that? Let me tell you a story, Mr. Howard. Uh, Howard Kolchak, uh... I learned very young in life while whaling that nothing else really excited me like hunting. I discovered on those maritime outings that hunting, stalking, and finally taking the other's life and soul, that... That was the most exhilarating thing I had ever known. That's when I decided to drop out of Yale and follow my true passion. Hunting. In all forms. Uh, Yale? I've been all over this speck of a world we call home, following my quest to meet and hunt down every animal worth hunting. Mind you, as I said, I'm no poacher. There's no skill or class in that. Nope. All my hunting is official, as even as I can get with my opponent. Uh. I've felt the Labrador currents on my cheeks, the burning sun over the plains of Africa. I've navigated the waters of the Amazon. I have killed just about anything that can be considered viable game in this world of ours. Even man. That has propelled me all over this planet, and my travels ultimately took me all the way to the Himalayas and making friends with the Sherpas, the people of Nepal. You heard of them? Uh, yes, I've heard of the Himalayas, um, but not the Sherpas. They are the indigenous people of the region that live far up in the Himalayan foothills, in monasteries and the like. I bring them up because it was there, on the side of the Himalayan mountains in Nepal, that I had the greatest thrill of my life, oh my god, tracking an animal. After not being able to feel any sort of pleasure in life for who knows how long, 
It was a fateful night while out with those Sherpas. We were confronted by a creature I'd only heard about in fables, carved on totem poles. Have you ever heard of the Yeti? Yeti? Yeah. I, I have not. The locals call them Yeti. Well, that night, one confronted us and killed one of our guides. Just appeared out of the snow. Looked to be over ten feet tall. It grabbed my rifle, snatched it away, and snapped it in two like it were a toy. Then it grabbed our small guide by the throat and picked him up off the ground, and I... I, I froze. Did you hear that? It sounds like it's getting closer. For the first time in my life, since I was a child again, dealing with the torment of a father who was a drunkard, and I froze. At the critical moment, I froze. What the hell was that? It was those eyes, you see, Howard. Those eyes that glowed like something I'd never seen. And I, for the first time, felt fear. I was frozen as the creature looked at us, and after discarding my rifle like a matchstick, the Yeti ripped out the throat of our guide and gorged on him in front of us as its blood pumped all over the white snow and all over his white coat of fur. That day, that lone day, I hesitated. It dropped Nishua's body and just walked away, and I did nothing. When I regained my composure, I prepared to go back out after it. However, the Sherpas wouldn't help me. And without their help in those mountains, you're dead. Later on, back here in the Americas, I heard tales from the Indian medicine men about our local beasts, their version of the Yeti. Matson, what is that? Those are them. The ones that live here in the Americas. They aren't white here, they're brown or red. Almost like the color of bears. There could be yetis here too, but none have been reported. Did you hear what the last survivor of this fort said when he made it down to Last Hope before he died? Um, he, he, he said an Indian name. I have it written down uh, somewhere. Uh, was, it, uh, was it the name of the tribe that perpetrated the carnage? Um... No, don't you understand? The soldier said Sasquatch. Sasquatch ain't no tribe. It's a name for what the locals call the Yeti in these parts. Uh, Sasquatch? Yeah, Sasquatch. The brown indigenous ones. That's who's out there. They did all this. Out there? Uh, they did? Yep. Up in those mountains. Out in those woods, getting ready to come in here. That's what we're hearing. Them. That's who went up against this fort. And that's who's coming now. <laughs> you see, you and me, Howard, we're the bait to lure them down. Uh, uh come again? And I've set traps all around this place. Uh, uh, traps? Bear traps. All kinds of traps. I'm gonna get one of these beasts, and by God, I'm gonna kill it. Even if it kills me, oh, there's nothing like it. Looking death straight betwixt the eyes. It's the only time you can feel truly alive, Howard. But, but that night in Nepal, I hesitated. I've never done that in my life. 
ever. And it was because I felt, for the first time, fear. Something others are lucky enough to experience every day. I, for the first time ever, only felt it then. Looking into those yellow eyes. Well, I'm gonna rectify that tonight. Madsen! You hear that? They're here. They're here. Oh, this is it! Now, wait a minute. Aldous, Madsen, wait! This is it! But he was gone, lost in his own world of obsession, which worried me, as I hadn't thought to look into this mercenary before we had set forth on this pilgrimage to destiny. But then, I remembered the officer's logbook. Logbook entry, October the 22nd. Revelry cannon was fired toward the hillside as usual. However, immediately following was heard a horrible screaming, or shrieking is the only thing you could call it, at the blast point. Our men quickly responded, fearing worst. What they found, I hesitate to report, and perhaps would not, if it were not for the death of four of my men. Upon arrival, the men found a large beast clutching the dead body of a smaller one that had been struck and killed by the cannon fire. It seemed to be wailing uncontrollably. Upon seeing the soldiers, its wailing turned into a god-awful scream. It stood up, placed the tiny body of its dead kin on the snow, then attacked the soldiers with such a ferocity that it killed Private Stebbins with a single blow then grabbed and broke Corporal Ferrity in half like he was a dried twig, and the two remaining soldiers ran for their lives. We held our fire at the fort for fear of hitting our own men, fleeing in the fray. Just as they reached the fort, Sergeant Henry was seized by the pursuing beast, and his head was twisted and ripped from his body in a single motion, something myself and the other witnesses to the event will never forget. At this point, we opened fire and had half the company from the top of the fort walls, and it finally dropped after taking in our estimate well over a hundred carbine rounds. The men dragged the beast's body into the fort as well as the remains of Sergeant Henry. However, his head was mashed to a pulp, and frankly, none of the soldiers wanted to touch what was left in the snow, which is understandable. Upon further examination what the body of the creature actually was, we couldn't speculate. A mix of a bear, man, and maybe something as queer as a large monkey over ten feet in length. We may have inadvertently discovered a new species. More man than animal, or in this case, woman. It appears to have been a female from the report made by Private Hutchins, the only survivor of the attack. I can only assume that we accidentally killed its child. Sending men out now to collect our dead from the hill. 23rd of October. I overheard one of our Indian scouts call the creature in his native tongue, Sasquatch forgetting I speak his language, and when he uttered the word I saw a shudder run through his two native companions. They hurried off and have not come back since. 24th of October. The men are all anxious. 
loud sounds outside our walls of something hitting trees with great force that can be heard in the woods in all directions, accompanied by bestial howls. Our Indian counterparts have not returned to their scheduled rendezvous. I've ordered the number of guards on the walls be tripled. May God forgive us. October the 25th. We are under attack from what we know not. Improvised battering rams smashing the walls of the fort. We haven't long. We haven't long, my darling Clara. I've always loved you. If not for anything, this absence from you was to ensure a bright future for both us and our child. I shall always love you. Captain Juris Razigan, 9.03 p.m. The fort walls have been breached. We... And that's it. The rest of the journal was blank. Ah. Realizing I was without a pistol, I ran as fast as I could and hid under some debris and tried to stay as quiet as possible. All gunshots and Matson's screams had ceased. Soon I heard heavy footsteps. Someone was in the room with me. I could hear the breathing. I could hear the breathing. Unearthly breathing coming from someone else that was in the room with me. I knew, I swore, whatever was in the room with me knew I was there too. I couldn't tell how long we were in there together. It could have been minutes, perhaps an hour. I sat there frozen for who knows how long. Hours went by. But at some point, I finally cleared the debris away I was hiding under and got to my feet. I slowly made my way out of the room into the remains of the fort. Not a soul could be found. I wanted to call out to my companion, but was worried about calling attention to myself. So I quietly tried to look around to see what had happened to him. I cautiously made my way into the yard in the dawn glow of the rising sun. It was morning, either from the darkness hiding the extent of the damage, or the fresh battle that had occurred here against Matson's monsters. The fort was even in worse looking shape than the night before. But even now, in the sobering daylight, I already started second-guessing myself on what I really heard in the room with me just hours before. Could it have been a bear? Maybe. Though it sounded like two legs, not four. As I pondered this, I slowly exited the fort and looked toward the left wall, and finally I saw footprints in the snow, much of which did not match what would have been the hunter's boots. And these tracks weren't made by boots at all. It was then that I came across Matson's body. The big game hunter lay bloody and beaten in the snow, his head a victim of one of his own bear traps. Everything above the neck was a mash, looking like a crushed, rotted fruit. 
His massive Winchester 76 had been broken clean in two, with the stock in repeating action on one side and the long barrel and foregrip laying over on the other. And the game hunter was still holding his two large Navy Colt revolvers in his frozen hands. I quickly considered my options and thought the best thing to do was use the daylight to head back down to Last Hope and get assistance. I went back inside the fort to check on the animals, who were luckily still in their stalls unharmed. They looked just as excited to leave as me. I quickly gathered them in our bags, including the Fort Courage record log book I'd found, put them all on the mules, and grabbed Matson's horse viola. Ah, come on and led them out of the fort over to where Matson's body was to take it with me if I could. Whoa, 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 everybody. What the... But when I got to where his body was only 20 minutes before, it was now gone. Only a dark red trail of blood in the snow, which led off into the deep woods along the mountain. And suddenly I had the feeling I was being watched from all directions. The knocking! The knocking! I heard a click of wood on a tree to the left of me, which was quickly answered by a sound to the right. I grabbed the pieces of his Winchester repeater and took my leave as quick as I could. Come on, Viola. Yeah. With my caravan of Matson's horses and two mules, we were off. Come on, girl. The mules had been just as eager to leave because they were keeping pace right behind Viola and me. Ah. It took us half the time to get back down through the pass and down the trail, but it still felt like a lifetime. Come on. The entire journey down, we seemed to be followed oh, and even mocked by those in the forest just past the tree line taunting us with their knocks that would ring out and then be immediately answered on the other side of us. With only a few miles left in our race back, those following seemed to grow more restless and eager to lash out. No! Ah! I heard a god-awful high-pitched wail from one of my mules behind me. I again realized I had no gun to fend any attacker off with, let alone protect my caravan. By the time I looked back, the poor animal had vanished off the road into the forest. I turned and kept Viola and the other mule going. Ah, come on, let's go! Ah. Ah. When I finally arrived back in Last Hope, it seemed like the entire town slowly crept out onto the wooden sidewalks to catch a glimpse of me and realizing it was only me. And to see if they can glean the tale from me of what happened at Fort Courage. I figured I'd see you sooner than later, Sheriff. And I didn't think I'd be seeing you again. And the trapper? He was no trapper. <laughs> what happened? They got him. The sheriff just looked at me. He didn't answer. 
or even ask who. He didn't need to. Then I remembered what he had said only a day before. What makes you think? I don't already know what happened up there. Then, as if to answer my thoughts from deep inside the woods on the outskirts of town and from the direction of Fort Courage, came a horrifying sound. And every man, woman, and child in town knew what that sound was. It was Sasquatch. And that's the story of the strange occurrence down at Fort Courage. My article was written and came out and went unnoticed. A pair of suits that looked like a couple of Pinkertons came and took the captain's log and whatever else I had taken from the fort. And from what I heard, the entire structure was hazed and scrubbed off the books along with whatever truth of what really happened that day, along with any other memory of Fort Courage. My article was never reprinted. It was lost to the sands of time. That is, unless you have a drink in a little bar in a small town called Last Hope. And the bartender there will point over his shoulder up to a broken Winchester 76 mounted behind the bar while he tells you the tale of the great master hunter, the great monster hunter, Aldous Matson, and that he was no trapper. On behalf of all of our players, we'd like to thank you for listening. The cast included Mr. Moose Madsen and Dion Bayer, produced by Mr. James Hancock, directed and edited by Dion Bayer, written by Dion Bayer, from an original story by Mr. Moose Madsen and Dion Bayer. And for all those here at the Theater of the Mind, we'd like to thank you and bid you a good night.